Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Jewanced. We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America, we live in Israel, and we're looking to challenge popular conceptions, think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance. Each episode will host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but not all. Our goal? To create a platform where people share their stories, insights, and visions. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, debate, and discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, this is Benny and Dan coming at you with another very special episode of Juanced today. Before we get going, uh, Dan, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm swell, thanks. Always a pleasure. Time is of the essence today, so before we get going, just want to say uh, a, a quick shout-out to all of our listeners. Thanks so much for checking in. Just real quick, check it out. Juan so far has enjoyed tremendous success. We have listeners literally all over the world in every continent except Antarctica. We continue to grow in leaps and bounds. That being said, we want to make sure that we can continue to produce top-notch content for you. So, as we're a listener-supported podcast, consider helping us uh, continue to expand by becoming a supporter today. You can make a one-time donation or a small monthly contribution or become a sponsor and advertise your business or organization on our platform. For more information, check out our newly revamped website at www.juance.com. We've got a great show for you today. Dan, take it away. Sure. So last week uh, was part one of the special, as everyone uh, who doesn't live in a yurt in rural Mongolia is aware, the U.S. presidential elections are rapidly approaching and uh, people are already submitting their uh, early votes due to covid uh, so no matter who you support, and by all means, these are important elections during what might be the most polarizing and uh, divisive elections of, of our time, um, more and more politics seem to be an all-or-nothing game. So here at Juanced, and we're all about the mission of introducing nuance and perspective and critical thinking to uh, the Jewish and Israel game, we want to do our part to help shed light on these elections from a Jewish perspective. Uh, we're going to get into the major issues and offer both sides of the election a platform to express their views and discuss some of the more difficult issues. That's why we're super excited to have now of our two-part series with two of the biggest Jewish names in American politics. Last week, we were honored to host Haley Soifer, Executive Director of the Jewish Democratic Council of America. And today, we are equally honored and excited to host Senator Norm Coleman, National Chairman, Board of Directors of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Benny, since uh, your family and uh, our guest family have a history, why don't you please uh, introduce our special guest today? Absolutely. So for those of you who may not know, I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the twin city to uh, Senator Coleman's twin city of St. Paul, Minnesota, where he served as mayor. So to give a quick intro, for the past 28 years, Senator Coleman has dedicated his life to public service on the municipal, state, and national levels. He grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where my father is from, graduating from the iconic James Madison High with uh, notable names such as uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, and the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, amongst others. Uh, he moved to my home state of Minnesota and rose to the rank of Chief Prosecutor and Solicitor General in the Attorney General's office. In his first political campaign, Senator Coleman ran as a Democrat for mayor of St. Paul and won. His tenure in City Hall brought, with, brought him into conflict with state Democratic leaders, and in 1996, he famously switched parties. As a Republican, he won election to the Senate in 2002, that's the U.S. Senate, and there Coleman was a strong supporter of bipartisan efforts to create American independence from foreign sources of energy. He served on the Agriculture Committee, where he played an important role in agriculture policy. In regards to foreign policy, he was a strong supporter of the Iraq War, outspoken on the threat posed by Iran to Western democracies and efforts to impose strict sanctions on the regime, and has always been a formidable and consistent supporter and defender of Israel. Since leaving official politics after being defeated by Democrat and fellow Jew, Senator Al Franken in the 2008 Senate race, Coleman has devoted his energies to the Republican Jewish Coalition and various nonprofit causes. He is currently of counsel at the law firm of Hogan Lovells. Senator Coleman, how's it going? How are you doing? Just two observations. I'm going to give you an edit on my resume. But first, I have to say that uh, if we always consider ourselves in Minnesota the frozen chosen, 
Uh, but uh, if, right. if you had an Antarctica, they would really be the frozen chosen. So, uh, but we take pride. pride. Mm -hmm. the, the addendum on my, on my resume is that I ran as a Republican in a city that's about 85% Democrat for re-election. I declared as a Republican. Everyone said, you know, I could never win. I got 60% of the vote, got re-elected. Uh, and then in the Senate, I served on the Foreign Relations Committee. I was, in fact, the ranking member. Uh, I'll step back. I was had been chair at one point of the Western Hemisphere Subcommittee. But when the Democrats took control in in uh, 2006, I was asked by members of the pro-Israel community to join the, the uh, Middle East Subcommittee, uh, which John Kerry, by the way, was the chair. And I was asked to do that to be a balance to be a balance for those who really cared about Israel and support for Israel, uh, to be uh, to be there to, to actually check Senator Kerry. And so uh, I served on the, the prestigious subcommittee. I'm also, you listen, should know, in the National Chairman of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Obviously, it's a, uh, you know, my issues are uh, Israel, but they're also Republican Jewish. Republican is first. Uh, and it's not just about the U.S.-Israel relationship. It's also about what makes America stronger. Uh, Israel is in better position when America is strong, when it, when it's, when, and they being our strongest ally in the Middle East, uh, you know, we both have kind of a mutual interest in each other's success. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to take you back many, many years. Uh, you grew up in Brooklyn, and I know as, as my dad grew up in Brooklyn, a lot of people left, uh, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, I, I know there's, you know, things going on in New York in those times, and people kind of spread out. And uh, you, like, like him and, and some others, wound up in Minnesota, of all places. And uh, that's not 100% obvious as, as, as a trajectory. I got a free, so I know I got a free ride to the university in Iowa Law School in 1964. Okay. I got, so you know, I had a kid from Brooklyn, uh, free ride to law school. And I had a free ride to law school. They actually worked with the administration there. So I, I had a job plus a free ride. So everyone was drinking draft beer. I was drinking Heineken out of a bottle. I mean, I, I had a good ride in <laughs> Iowa. And then when I graduated in 76, uh, New York was going bankrupt. Uh, and I, I wanted to do public service. So I've been recruited by the Minnesota AG, by the U.S. AG, by the Minnesota Attorney General, and then some private firms. But uh, I heard everyone from Iowa loves Minnesota's right north of Iowa. I heard there were tall blondes in Minnesota. I married one 39 <laughs> years ago. We're still married. Uh, and uh, so once I got up there, I, I never left. And as you indicated in a little of my history, 17 years, AG's office, Solicitor General, Chief Prosecutor, Mayor of St. Paul for two terms in the United States Senator. So uh, Minnesota has been good to me, good to my family. Uh, and uh, it was a blessing. You know, we, we, we plan, God laughs. And, and uh, I ended up in Minnesota. And then my kid, I still have a Brooklyn accent. So I'm still considered an outsider okay. in some ways. But my kids will, will be considered true Minnesotans and, and grand. And grandkids, Definitely. by the way, I have a grandson, Adam, and uh, so you know they're 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 they're, they're true blue Minnesotans. It's in. Are you a Vikings fan? I am a Vikings fan, but and that's disappointing. Uh, I was a New York Giants fan. I was an L.A. Dodger. I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. When the yeah, Dodgers yeah. left Brooklyn in 1957, I don't know if your dad was there then. It was like a funeral. I mean, I remember a conversation around the breakfast table and. Uh, you know, the, the, the death of sports when, when they left. So uh, I migrated over to New York, Mass. But then in Minnesota, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Minnesotan and, and uh, you know, twins and, and Vikings. Uh, I, though my hero still is Sandy Koufax. He's, he, he's still the greatest sports figure. That in, in my pantheon of sports figures, there's nobody greater than, than a lunsman from Lafayette High School or neighboring high school in Brooklyn, Sandy Koufax. And your listeners are saying, who is this? And what's all this history there? There's good Jewish listeners of a Jewish podcast. We really hope that yeah, they know who Sandy it. Koufax is. Of course, <laughs> who don't know, Sandy Koufax famously would not play. Uh, Against the Minnesota Twins in the and, World uh, Series. It was in Minnesota. And he indeed. didn't pitch the on young KP. He pitched the next day, and uh, Dodgers won the championship. <laughs> I, I got to ask you, is there something in the water in Brooklyn, in that neighborhood you grew up in, that produced so many leaders on the national level you know that's interesting because uh I, you know the the, the trivia question it actually was on the tv show jeopardy uh one time was you know name the three u.s senators who served in the united states Senate at the same time representing three different states and three different political parties and the answer is as you've indicated early on was bernie sanders uh socialist from vermont uh, chuck schumer democrat who was a year behind me by the way i was always a great a great in front of, of chuck Democrat and the Norm Coleman represented the Republican Party. And then Ruth Bader, as you indicated, also was that, yeah, I, I think it was, I, I first like, I think it's 
the neighborhood. I think it's the families. And, you know, we are all high achievers. And, you know, at one point in, in Minnesota, you had uh, the senator, you had a governor and the previous senator, all originally from New York, Arnie Carlson, governor of Minnesota, Rudy Boschwitz, uh, who came from Germany to Minnesota, to, to New York, I think, for a, I think there was a stopover there at some point. But in any case, there's been a New York connection. And, and uh, in spite of, you know, folks thinking we have strange accents, they've managed to support us and vote for us. There you go. So, you know, you do your stint and you get to uh, high positions in the attorney general's office and then you decide to run for mayor of St. Paul and you win uh, as a Democrat. And then you 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 switch sides. And I switch sides, by uh, the way, that's switching pick. positions. So when I got elected, the very first right. thing that I did is my budget director to be came in, and said to me, mayor, yes, definitely mayor elect. Uh, he said the contract was approved by my union contract. Uh, for the public play unions were approved, was approved right before I took office. And my budget director to be said to, you know, Mayor, if you approve this, the city's going to be bankrupt in 15 years. So I, and, and uh, too much detail, but it was because they negotiated a retiree health benefit package that would have this 1993, uh, uh, that would have given full retiree health benefits to retiree spouses for the rest of their life without a dime of employee contribution. My budget director kind of looked to the future and said, you can have $200 million of unfunded liability in 15 years. My son, Jake, when I got elected, was eight years old. My daughter, Sarah, was four. I thought eight years was a blink of the eye. I figured 15 years was two blinks. And everybody told me, don't reject the contract. 99% of the employees in St. Paul, city government, all union, including my lawyers. Everyone's a member of the union, except for my, the commissioners I appointed. But I rejected the contract and, and said, I'm not going to bankrupt the city in 15 years sued, picketed, major fight with the public employee unions. I started 20 public charter schools. That was the I would probably more charter schools than any place in the country. The first charter school in America. And again, I don't know if you listen as a familiar view is familiar, but charter schools, basically public schools that parents can, can form and put together. And so you can do classical education. You can require uniforms, a range of things. Uh, but it's you know, education, innovation. Uh, and so we had 20 of those and, and I didn't raise taxes. And in eight years as mayor, I cut three quarters of the other uh, regulations. We, we did all the things that Republicans do or conservative Democrats do. But in the end, I, I didn't change a position, but I had the teachers union against me, the public employee union against me. Uh, I had the Democrat Party against me. And so in the end, I said, listen, I, I'm somebody who believes in teaching someone to fish, not just feeding them fish. I believe in less government, in government where it's needed, but, but you know, more focus on the private side, on, on individual initiative. And so I switched parties as a result without switching a single position uh, and, and uh, in the end uh, was victorious. So, uh, you know, I, 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 in fact, again, I didn't want to run for re-election uh, in a place that, that wasn't true to my, my soul. And, and and I can tell you that everyone thought I wouldn't win re-election in a city. I, I was the first Republican mayor in 30 years. I'll probably be the last Republican mayor in the city of St. Paul. Uh, there just aren't that good. I, I, I'm, I was part of the Republican Jewish coalition. Uh, I was also, by the way, head of the JNF, Jewish National Fund, when I was uh, in Minnesota. But as a Republican, I, I, it was me in a phone booth. That was the Republican Jewish coalition. <laughs> uh, true, true story. I never met a Republican. When I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, I never met either a Republican or a Lutheran until I went to college. I thought they were both religious sects, that they were kind of, there weren't any in my, in my neighborhood. And so uh, I got to be uh, a mayor and, and uh, uh, I was tough on crime and cut taxes and grew jobs and cut regulation. And in the end, uh, much more comfortable in, in, in the party that uh, I am presently in and, and chairman of the Republican Jewish Coalition. It sounds like what what got you uh, reelected, even after switching uh, parties, was people looked at the issues, people looked at your your stances on things, and not if you're a, a D or an R. Um, do you think that's missing yeah, a little bit yeah, today in the yeah, political no, it, atmosphere that everyone's so hung is, up? And I got to tell you, by the way, it was easy to get elected as a mayor, but once you nationalize, when I ran for a senate stuff, it, it's it, it gets tougher. Uh, by the way, what got me elected to the United States Senate was as mayor of St. Paul. I brought back a National Hockey League franchise to Minnesota. We had had the Minnesota North Stars and they left. I came in and I did a deal to, to bring in a hockey team, built an arena. It really transformed my city. I tell outsiders that you bring professional hockey back to Minnesota. As, as Ben knows, this is a big thing. People think you can walk on water. 
I remind them in Minnesota, we can walk on water six months of the year because it's frozen. So that wasn't a miracle. Okay. It was just a very good thing that I did and it got me elected. But, but my, the point being is that, yeah, it, even then there are partisan divisions. By the way, we've had partisan division in this country for a long time. Uh, you know, Burr kills Hamilton, kills, you know, Burr kills Hamilton, you know, uh, uh, Andrew Jackson, his, his wife was called a, a, a prostitute. His mother, he, he was, he, I think he was called illegitimate, all sorts of things. The difference today is that when you say those things, they're heard instantaneously around the world. They're treated, you know, the Facebook, the Snapchat, right. and you can't take them back. Right. Uh, and, and, and we feed ourselves. We're, we're polarized. We're polarized as a nation where we live, rural versus urban. Uh, we're polarized in terms of the media that we watch, you know, uh, conservatives watching Fox and, 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 and liberals watching MSNBC uh, and, or CNN. Right. Yeah, and so there is the, the level of polarization is more intense uh, and, and more chances for it to get out there and to kind of just hammer you and hammer you. Uh, and so I think that has exacerbated this polarization that you guys are reflecting on uh, and that I think is unfortunate. I was always someone who uh, was the, the beauty of the Senate. Uh, in the Senate, you know, you needed to get to 60 to pass pass something. The House is just a majority. And, and, and it's the House, but, you know, whoever wins the House, that's the will of the public at that moment. They control. The Speaker controls everything. The Senate was there to cool things off. You need 60. You need to work with someone on the other side of the aisle, which, by the way, uh, you're hearing discussions now about if Democrats take control of the presidency, the House and Senate, they'll get rid of the filibuster. They'll use it to pack the Supreme Court. They'll use it to admit uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico as states, adding four more liberals. They'll use it to give the right to vote to 15 million people who are not here legally. Uh, and if you do that, you will transform the institutions of America by a simple majority. The 51 percent will control the 49 percent. I think that's dangerous. So, so I think there's a benefit to having a body that requires you to listen to the other side, to talk to the other side. And if you have 53 senators, you got to get seven folks, men and women from the other side on your side, or else you don't get something done. I think that was the beauty of our founders' vision. I, I, I would really uh, lament if that were to be gone, if we would change that uh, after this election. What's, what's the dynamic like day to day in the Senate you know, when the cameras aren't on and, and the press isn't around, is there honest dialogue? Is there discussion? Is there cooperation, uh, you know, between the two sides of the aisle? How, how does that work when, when the cameras uh, Less so in the House. The House really is a kind of a partisan group. I, there are Democrats that don't talk to them. Not everyone. There are some small groups of, you know, the, the, the Get It Done Coalition, whatever. But in the Senate, it's a lot better. Turn off the, the C-SPAN you know, maybe separate out leadership from, from the rank, from the members. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that goes on. I mean, when I was there, there were a group of us, you know, myself. There was a Gordon Smith represented Oregon, Mike DeWine, now governor of Ohio. Um, these are Republican side. On Democrat side, you have folks like Mark Pryor from Arkansas. By the way, a lot of Southern Democrats, Mark Pryor from Arkansas, Blanche Lincoln from Arkansas, Mary Landrow uh, from uh, Louisiana. But there are a number of folks that, that, you know, we kind of got together quietly. You have, you have what they call hideaways in the Capitol. Every member has a little office, not just their own, but a little hideaway. And by the way, in that hideaway, that's your space. You want to light up a cigar, you want to have a drink, you can do it. But in those hideaways, we would get together and, and have conversation that really transcended the partisan divide. I think there's still a lot of that. Uh, but unfortunately, the politics, the base politics kind of dictate the, the, the more broader public discussion. And so I just by way of example, when I was in the Senate, I worked with Ted Kennedy, Democrat, the other side of the aisle. We were as politically opposite as can be. And in the Senate, he was a lion. He just ripped the heck out of Republicans. But afterwards, he was very genteel, gracious. He and I chaired the, the arts caucus together. And, and he was very, very kind to me. But my point being is, is if we, in fact, had a, a resolution of the immigration issue when I was in the U.S. in 2006, but at that point, the Democrat leader, Harry, didn't want a resolution. They wanted the issue politically. And so in the end, we couldn't get a bill that, that probably would have passed. President Bush supported it. Uh, his cabinet was working on it. So you have on occasion, it happens on both sides of the aisle, where leadership says we want the issue, keep it alive. Uh, and even though there's a bipartisan coalition supporting a resolution, it doesn't come to fruition, which is terribly unfortunate. Right. So, so you're the, the national board chair of the Republican Jewish Coalition. 
So in that in that role, who, who are you? What do you do? Uh, and what is the Republican Jewish Coalition today? For, for well, it's, it's and I'm the national chairman. You know, we have a, a pretty esteemed board of, of you know very successful men and women. Uh, we support uh, Republican candidates presidential. We're in support of President Trump, uh, members of the Senate, and and into the House. Uh, we raise money for them. Uh, uh, if if they are, and it happens to be the Republicans, here's one of the differences: between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, if, if you're going to give money to the Republican Jewish Coalition. I can tell you that anybody that we're supporting is going to be pro-Israel. Okay? Any, uh, if you're in, in on the Democrat side, uh, I, they're going to be supporting candidates who are not, not as pro-Israel as we think they should be. Uh, and the best example is the Iran deal, they have the JCPOA. That, a deal with folks in Israel understood was an existential threat uh, to America, to, excuse me, to Israel. It's also a threat to America because it, it really guaranteed Iran a path to nuclear weapon. I could tell the folks who are donating to the RJC, everyone that we that you give that, that we give money to that we support would have opposed the, the Iran deal. Whereas on the Democrat side, many folks who, by the way, had, had proclaimed being good friends of Israel supported the Iran deal. Uh, let me push back on that a little bit, Senator. Um, I'm very familiar with the Iran deal. I have a, a long military national security background. Won't get into it because our listeners are well aware. Um, I was not a fan of the deal. Um, I don't think it was horrible. I don't think it was awful. I, I wasn't a fan of it. I think it could have been done better. Uh, and I, I wrote that in numerous articles at the time. When we were talking last week to, uh, she's not exactly her counterpart, but but the uh, head of the Democratic uh, Jewish Council of America, um, you know, they mentioned that strong support for Israel is one of their major foundations. And they won't support a Democrat who does not support Israel. They just, they'll sit that one out. Um, do you feel that way um, ab- about Republican candidates who don't support certain issues that are important to you as the Republican well, Jewish coalition? I just want to talk about the Iran deal. I talk to Israelis. Okay? Talk to Please. Israeli government. Talk to folks on, on all sides of the political spectrum in Israel, and they'll tell you that the Iran deal represented an existential threat to Israel's existence, that, that, over, that it guaranteed not a, I mean, a path for Iran to get a nuclear weapon. That it didn't have in place the ability to 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 you know do invest uh, investigations on Iranian military facilities. So, so talk right, to that, Israelis that concern, about right. an existential threat. Uh, and and let, and and I'm going to be just real blunt here, real candid. Uh, you know, so, so you know you got Joe Biden right now and 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 Barack Obama. Uh, do you remember the last thing they did before they left office regarding Israel? UN Resolution two three three four. Do you remember to, to, to remind your listeners what that was, and the UN Security Council condemned Israel for quote the settlements in that UN Resolution two three three four. So it's a condemnation of Israel. Uh, by the way, it declared that the Kotel, for, for the Western Wall, was under international law now occupied Palestinian territory. Okay, that deal was orchestrated by the Obama administration. Nikki Haley said that at the time we just the U.S. quote abstained. But afterwards, it came out that we we organized, we, we, we put that together as, I think, a slap in the face of Israel on the way out the door. And, and so for my Democrat friends, and again, Israel, here's my lament, by the way, support for Israel should be a bipartisan issue. In the past, by the way, the Joe Bidens and, and the Steny Hoys, they have been great supporters of Israel. But the reality is, is that today you have within the Democratic Party the loudest voices of the Bernie Sanders a lot of voices at the AOCs, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the Rashid Tlaibs out of Michigan. These are folks that all support, by the way, BDS. They, they support the BDS, which is a, 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 a threat to the Jewish state. It says we're going to economically eliminate the Jewish state. To me, that's anti-Semitism. Right. We agree on that point. But uh, but the, to, to be fair, and, and we pushed back against uh, Haley last week on this. And and she made it very clear that, first of all, they don't support those candidates who support BDS. And secondly, there's really only four or five, we'll call them anti-Israel candidates. They call themselves the squad. The squad. There's really only four or five. Here's what you're missing. It's not four or five. So so when when, uh, Chuck Chuck Schumer has a conference, right, uh, about a major issue, who does he have staying right by his side? AOC. Right. I think when even on the right, that's who we have. It's not four or five. That's a misnomer. The, 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 if you look at the look at the, the platform of the Democratic Party, 
you know, uh, Sanders said it was, you know, he took Biden took our stuff. The Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is not a centrist, you know, Democrat proposal, but it is it, it is the platform of the Democrat Party. OK. And, and so, you know, today's, you know, Biden is saying, well, I support fracking. The Green New Deal doesn't support fracking. It eliminates fracking. Uh, uh, Kamala Harris, you know, support eliminating everyone on that stadium, including Biden at the time. And why did they take that path? Because the strength of the Democrat Party, by the way, is 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 with the progressives. And by the way, not just four, because if you look at the primaries that just took place, they picked up a number of more seats. It, it would be uh, it would be a lie, okay, to say that that the uh, that that the squad it represents three or four people in the Democratic Party. I mean, the reality is the movement in the Democratic Party is among the progressives, uh, and 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 and. And so, so that's and the progressives are anti-Israel. The progressives support the BDS. So it's not a limited number. So I just want to I want to push back on your pushback. That's fine. <laughs> let, let me push back on your pushback. I'm going to push back on your pushback. We're getting there's like too many degrees now pushing no, back. No, and, and, and to be fair to our listeners, uh, the, the Democratic platform um, is pro-Israel, um, you know, supports Israel's right to exist, et cetera, anti-BDS. Um, but but we don't have to dwell on this issue. Um, we 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 had a look at uh, the Republican Jewish Coalition's platform, and it's it's a lot more limited. And we thought this was an interesting point. It's a lot more limited than your counterparts' platform, where they take an issue, they take a stance on everything within the Democratic Party, and they support a lot of it, not all of it. Um, and, and your platform as an organization was a lot more limited. So. You know, we're the Republican yeah. Jewish coalition. We're not, we're not the Republican Party. And, and so we gauge people on a, on a series, of, a, a, a limited series of issues. That's what we're looking for, right? So, so Please tell us uh, we are the Republican Jewish coalition. So, you know, we, so we support, you know, the tax cuts. We support efforts at school choice, which, by the way, is a Jewish issue. And, and the Democrat Party doesn't support that, doesn't support school choice. Uh, and, and certainly that's, that's a major issue. Uh, we support the president's efforts to fight anti-Semitism, the executive order you know, that he issued. Uh, but a lot of it is Israel. We're not APAC. APAC supports both folks on both sides of the aisle. And, they, and they've had challenges recently. They've had challenges. It's getting tougher for APAC because there are loud voices in the Democrat Party that, that do support BDS. That, that, that's just simply a reality. And, and listen, an easy way, common sense. Uh, if you say, I support Israel, you can do that at any Republican gathering, and that's an applause line. You do not say that gatherings of the Democrat base, and check the polling, okay? The polling of the Democratic base is not largely in favor of Israel today, okay? Different, check the numbers. As a Democrat, as a Democrat you cannot stand up and say, I support Israel, and expect a round of applause. So that's, that is, a I think, a fair, legitimate difference. It, it is, and, and we agree with you. Does it... You know, we always talk about how, and you said it yourself, Israel should be a bipartisan issue, right? Israel shouldn't be a political issue. And it has been, even though, like you point out, that's been shifting on the uh, among those who vote Democrat. That's been shifting. The support for Israel has fallen. Uh, this is measured by all polls in recent years. Do you think that uh, inadvertently the overwhelming support that Israel has among Republicans, which is a good thing, is causing a reaction, maybe an unwanted reaction on the other side of uh, among Democratic voters who say, well, this is a Republic. This is a Republican issue. We're going to get away from Israel. Right. Maybe I don't care so much about Israel myself, but, you know, I went along with it because whatever. And but now the Republicans are so, you know, strong in their support for Israel that clearly if, if they support Israel, I have to go and maybe believe the the, the sometimes progressive narratives of uh, Israel as a white supremacist entity. So, so, and, but yeah, no, blah, blah, but I'll blah. give you an acknowledgement. Okay, so here's the no, because I got to say, I think it stems from what we're teaching kids in college campuses, you know, who growing up live with BDS is very strong on college campuses. I mean, when, when my son is 34, when he was in yes. college, he called me up, he says, Dad, I just had a fight with my with my uh, teacher uh, because he called it. He's saying Israel is an apartheid state. And I challenged him. And I was the only one in the class that challenged him. And, and it may affect my grade, but I wasn't going to sit there and listen to that. Uh, and, and Israel's apartheid state, by the way, and here are all the bad things that white men are doing in America. Okay, he was, but Israel apartheid state. You hear that? That is a a, a 
constant refrain in college campuses. That's a reality. And so I think we're educating our kids to view Israel as an apartheid state, uh, which to me is just so unbelievable. It, it, it's, uh, you know, you've got a, an Arab community that, that participates in Israel elections. You, you know, Israel, in, in terms of being a liberal democracy, I mean, they, if, if, you know, you look at, you know, what Israel's done, gay, lesbian, and, and diversity and everything, and the role of women, you know, it's come on, you couldn't have, and the U.S. could have a better friend. So, so on the one hand, no, but, but I will, I will admit, let me just say this, that I, that I think, you know, the, the, the divide with Trump, President Trump being so close to, to Israel, probably anything that president does, you're going to get folks to kind of take a reaction to. And I recognize that. But by the way, in talking about support for Israel, you and I having this debate, ask Israelis. Uh, we're sitting here. I'm not sure when this is going to be played out, but I can tell you in the day that we're recording this, you know, the reports in the U.S. paper of a major poll in Israel showing a 45 point edge for Donald Trump among Israelis, 63 to 18. Uh, and, and so Israelis are recognizing that, yeah, when Donald Trump you know, got rid of the, the JCPOA when he moved the embassy to Jerusalem after that was American law, by the way, since 1996, American law. OK, right. And, and never done. Never you know when he recognized yeah. the goal. And by the way, I was at the White House a few weeks ago with with the president and, and with the Israel with the Israeli ambassador. And then his prime minister, excuse me, Netanyahu was there. The ambassador was also there, but the prime minister was there. And, and for the agreement between Israel and the UAE, Israel and Bahrain, the president helped pull that together. And, and so in the end, you've got Israelis looking at this and saying, yeah, it's, it's kind of obvious. We've got one folks, or, you know, who are on our side. And we've got another guy who, you know, behind the JCPOA, behind UN Resolution 2334, and it's got a party that unfortunately is becoming more and more anti-Israel. It breaks my heart. It shouldn't be that way, but that is what it is. We definitely reflected on this a little bit last week as well, that it seems to be that, you know, whatever there is a, a, a let's call it an unequivocal uh, achievement of the administration in the Israel sphere, whether it's the Jerusalem embassy move or the UAE deal uh, or, 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 you know, anything such as, you know, in, in anything related to Israel, anything related to Israel that's been promulgated by the Trump administration, it is, uh, immediately distanced, rejected, you know, um, um, by people that I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. that if it was something that the previous administration had done, the would have been the, very happy. The, yeah. yeah, the act in and of itself would have been applauded and and lauded. And look, I mean, I was having this discussion with my own mother. You know, uh, I, you know, I, I uplo- updated her about the UAE deal and how us living in Israel, this is an amazing achievement. We feel like. It's going to be a warm peace and not like the cold peace that we have with Egypt and Jordan. And it's going to make the region a much more safe place. And, you know, and by the way, it also happened to be something that was done or, or, or brokered by the Trump administration. And it seemed like, and maybe COVID has a role in this, that it's not, you know, the, the front page of the newspaper. But um, it seemed like for them, it was like, oh, okay, well, I'm happy for you guys then. It was like, well, you should be happy for us. You should be happy for for the achievement. For the achievement. Yeah. The, you know, you, you should be able to find the nuance, to yeah. appreciate the nuance that that even if you are against the Trump administration, for many reasons that are, you know, valid reasons for, 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 for those people, like, can't you just see the achievement for what it is? You know, I was upset that more people didn't celebrate the movement, the moving of the embassy to Jerusalem. Yeah. Because as, as a Jew who lives in Israel... I mean, that's our capital. It's it's not uh, something that's up for debate here anymore. It's it's 2020. Like, and and it just it goes to your point, I which, it, I, which I was something I was acknowledging me. that in fact, if if you know Trump is for it, uh, then you're going to find some people against. You know that it, it does exacerbate, unfortunately, True. divide. I I wish I wish it weren't so, but uh, you know that, that is what it is. And, and I'll point I'll point out here that, and I I say this in a lot of my lectures to delegations and visiting politicians. When Israelis look at who the American president is and what how they are to Israel, they're looking at a very narrow lens. I'm just putting this in context to our listeners. They're looking at a very narrow lens of what has this president done for Israel in the Middle East. They're not looking at any kind of issue. They're not looking at you know uh, um, issues of, of racism or white supremacism or divisiveness or, or crude behavior or things we can get into in a minute here. Or his tax policy or his environmental policy. They're looking literally, what does he do about Israel? That's all the average Israeli sees in the news. That's all they care about. So that's, I mean, just to explain why 
an overwhelming number of Israelis, and also Israelis tend to be more right wing than, than and we'll, they do. We'll get into the, I'm sure the uh, other discussion about you know tweets and 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 things about personal behavior. Yeah, but but in the end, don't you think you should judge people by what they do? I think that, that and, and that's a that, that debate. Judge people and by actually true. what they what they accomplish. You know, Steve Covey, yeah. the, he's a, an author, an inspirational writer. Uh, he once made the comment about. I can remember how he said that, that we judge uh, others by their deeds. We, we judge ourselves by our intentions, okay? And that we're actually putting the tougher standard on the deeds because intentions are, well, you know, I I'm really want to help you here. I, I, I always I tell my friends, you know, in Minnesota, knows, we all know the, 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 the Scandinavian who loved his wife so much he almost told her, okay? Uh, and, and I say my Democrat friends care so much they almost do something. <laughs> They really care about the poor. But, you know, welfare didn't do what it needed to do. And so it needed welfare reform. They already care so much. Uh, and, and so in the end, you know, intentions are pretty nice. We're, we're always judging. Oh, I really intended to do that. But doing the deed is a little tougher. And so I always come back and judge the president. I see. By the way, one other aspect of the UAE, Bahrain, Israel deal that hasn't been mentioned, that I think to your, your listeners, your viewers is really important, was the Saudi decision to allow flights over Saudi airspace. Oh, you know, I, I know that huge. because that opens up India. It opens up that whole far east. Otherwise, it was like getting, what, four hours, wherever it was to a flight, and you made commerce and tourism and everything. You, you, it was gone. It wasn't there. But now, with that ability to fly over the kingdom, that, that really opened. That's a huge economic benefit. Israel. And one of the things that hardly has been noticed in, in, in the deal that the president engineered with our Gulf allies. It's a huge move. And, and it, it's it's bigger than that because it's uh, almost overt. Not, it's not even tacit. It's an almost overt statement by Saudi Arabia, who, who's become the leader of the Arab world today. I'll call it the moderate Arab world uh, and, and also U.S. ally of where they're going on this issue, that they're now going to let Israel fly over their airspace. They're they're moving towards normalization. It's going to take them longer, um, but but they're moving in that direction. Uh, what was it like during the signing? You you were there. You were on the lawn, yes. correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I mean, we were. I, you know, uh, Ben just talked about this that in the U.S. and especially among um, uh, you know those who vote Democratic, including Jews who love Israel and have been to Israel and have family in Israel. It was well, overlooked. It was overlooked well, because of the connection to Trump. Like, like, well, I, not yeah, even I, not. This was a major. Yeah. This is a major historic opportunity. Joe Lieberman was there. There were a couple of Democrats yeah. who were there. I can tell you, uh, we all watched it here, yeah. uh, wow. like the moon landing. Wow. We all watched it here. I literally had tears in my eyes um, from joy. Uh, I'm part of a group um, that's bringing together Emiratis and Israelis. Um, we're about a hundred of us on a WhatsApp group, and we're talking day and night to each other and the Emiratis on their side and all the Israelis on our side were, were very emotional on this group. Um, and here in Israel, just across the board, this was, this was like watching the moon landing. This was that big for us. I was there on the lawn. And again, I recognize you right. This is really historic. This, this is, this is very, very powerful. By the way, just getting back to our conversation, you know, so what moved the Israelis and the Saudis and the Emiratis and our Gulf Nages to kind of come together? It was Obama negotiating a Iran deal, not, t- telling, not telling Israel, by the way, he was having a negotiation, telling the Saudis publicly in a, in an Atlantic magazine article that they need to learn to share the neighborhood with the Iranians. Okay, that, Right. That's, that's like telling, that's, you know, somebody you got to share the neighborhood with the pedophile who's moved in a couple, you know, down hours away. Uh, but that was the Obama. That was Obama's statement. You need to share the neighborhood that, that they recognize Iran's kind of dominance in the region, rather than them being a pariah, rather than them being the largest state sponsor of terror. They, they just about own uh, uh, Baghdad. They just about own uh, Sana in Yemen. Uh, you know, they they they're in. They're supporting Hezbollah. They're supporting Hamas. You know, they 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 they're uh, got power in, in Damascus. I mean, it's stunning what the Iranians have done. And Obama, by doing that, actually, I think, forced the Israelis and, and, the, and our Gulf neighbors, our Gulf allies, to figure out a way to start working together because the United States wasn't there. Now, with Trump, we are there. And the result of what you saw on that lawn, 
But for a while, the sense was, listen, we, maybe they're not going to be there for us. And if not, we've got to take care of ourselves. So let's kind of get rid right. of some of the past, some of the things that have blocked this. And now let's have a conversation. And, and I have no doubt that conversation took place. I, I totally agree with you. And I published uh, as much uh, when the deal was first announced. I, I totally agree with that analysis. Um, it, it, it was huge. And I, and I think, yeah, the Obama administration refusing to really actively take on Iran in Syria, the deal. Uh, I remember very clearly that Atlantic article that was that was a signal to the Saudis, to, to the Emiratis, to us to say, uh, you know what, maybe the U.S. won't be by our side forever. Um, and, and I got to say, though, the U.S. under Trump, the Trump administration, rhetorically has been, you know, very um, aggressive against Iran, taking clear positions, taking a very clear uh, pro-Israel, pro-Saudi, pro-Gulf line. But as far as willing American willingness to put boots on the ground or to put a, a strong presence in the region, we're feeling the same, uh, you know, you talked about results and not intentions. The intentions are clearly different, but we're not seeing, there seems to be just a, a huge American reticence to, to get back into the Middle East because it just that's, hasn't that's, gone that's well every time the U.S. is in the Middle East. The president's tactic, the president doesn't want to put American troops on the ground, okay? Fight, fight your own wars, that's what he's saying. So, you know, Saudis, sure. you, st you, start, you, you, you right. put some uh, resources into Syria, okay? And, and, and so the approach and he fair. has taken, which is extremely aggressive, has been on the sanctions. He can and, and the fact is that, that they have disrupted the Iranian economy. Iran is not in good shape now. It, you know, they destroyed any opposition, you know, during the, the, the Green Movement. If you go back again, Obama time, when that young girl, Nadia, I think her name was, was shot on the streets of Tehran. Okay, and, and Obama had nothing to say, said nothing. And, and I can tell you, I was in the Senate at that time. Uh, the, the, any any opposition to the Mullahs was wiped out. There, there was no there was no Wek Valencia. There was no mobilizing person for the opposition. Today the situation in Iran is pretty tough and economic, and so but, so you got to give the president credit for for the intense you know use of sanctions. But he's not going to put troops in. That's not his nature. He wants them out. He ran on that. I disagree with some of his policy regarding American presidents. I, I'm I'm in the Lindsey Graham camp. Okay. I think we got it. We've been in Germany for 40, mm. 50, 70 years now, whatever it is. We can be in, 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 in Baghdad, you know, as a to ensure that ISIS doesn't come back. Another Obama fault is, is that I was there and I saw the impact of the surge in 2008. And then Obama comes in and steps back and ISIS all of a sudden they got to caliphate, you know, bigger than England or whatever. And, and so Trump takes that out. A, a, another difference takes out Soleimani. Criticize goes to your point because Trump did it. Criticize if Obama would have done it, I think people would have applauded it. Takes out Soleimani, right? The, you know the the, 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 the the chief murderer among the Iranians who do kill, who's killed thousands and, and injured, right? Not a nice guy. So, yeah. so not, you know, not a nice guy. Hardly got a nod on, on, on that. Those are, and and in the end, destroyed the caliphate for ISIS. So, you know, long answer short question. He's not about putting troops on the ground. That's not his style. That's not what he wants to do. But I don't think you can say that's a reflection of being out of the Middle East. I think he's, in fact, in, in the Middle East. Well, you know, that's what is Jared and, and, and Jason Green that before him and, and now Avi doing, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of, of trying to keep pushing a deal, pushing a resolution and getting the Palestinians. God, Brad, it was think about your kids. OK, think about your kids, about a better future for your kids, trying to get them back to the table. So I, I, I challenge the. Stepping back from the region, yep. I concur that he doesn't want it in terms of physical of troops on the ground. He's not going to go that route. So I, I want to go take a step back into American uh, American domestic issues and domestic politics for, for a second. I know you and I know that you're a very, very proud Jew. Uh, and, and that goes back all the way to your upbringing. And here you are. You're the board chair of, of the national board chair of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Um, I'll ask a question that you might that you might reject the premise of the question. Uh but Trump has been accused, and, and I think both of us here sitting here definitely feel this way, you know, dog whistling towards white, white supremacist groups or anti-Semitic you know, anti things that have been said, you know, just, just a couple of things, uh, you know, saying, calling Israel your country to a group of Jews or saying to, you know, if you vote Democrat, you're not loyal to, to Israel to or to your country or, or things like that. 
good people uh, on both sides that uh, proud you know, boys stand back sit down yeah stand 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 back and stand by or yeah. something like that stuff like that that's just like you look at that from abroad especially dan and i both you know we'll look at that and be like wait, wait a second this is bizarre because on the one hand you have these very very clear you know uh pro-israel policies that are taking place and on the other hand you're saying you're, you're going what's going on with the jews in america like what what's going on towards the jews in america why why does this have to be this way so you know you're and a lot of people will claim including our guest last week that that the rise of trump not maybe not necessarily trump himself but the rise of trump that spirit that brought him into power and maybe even him as a figure in his some of his tweets and some of his kind of comments that he'll make at conventions are a signal that have boosted the confidence of white supremacist groups, ultra kind of far right groups where, you know, uh, you, you know, better than we do. Jews don't feel comfortable and shouldn't feel comfortable with those things. So how do you uh, sit in the same proverbial room as those kind of comments as some of his supporters from kind uh, of the old right and the far right base? How does that work? Personal level. Uh, actually, a little, a little anecdote here. So Jason Greenblatt, who was Trump's lawyer, by Orthodox Jew, does, doesn't work on Shabbat, right? Uh, you know, negotiated the, the peace deals. Uh, represented uh, the president for, I don't know, what, a couple of decades, whatever. On personal knows him real well. Uh, and when he came before our RJC board, half of our board were not pro-Trump. Okay, we, we in, in the end, we support him as a nominee, but some of us were very much against Trump, including myself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the end, by the way, just kind of fast forward, I look at the things he's done, and we've articulated so many of them, and said, okay, this president has earned my support. Uh, and, and by what he's done, the, the embassy, the Golan, uh, you know, on and on. We had a long discussion today about that. Okay, so but Greenblatt comes in and says, "I know this guy, and and, and he's and, and he's he's the real deal, and and there's not a, a hint of anti-Semitism in his body." Uh, he appoints a, 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 a by the way, and, and I don't even want to just kind of mention, despite you know, he's got a Jewish daughter and a Jewish grandkids and a Jewish son who's pretty powerful in the administration. Uh, and, and so on that personal level, you got that Greenblatt's appearance for our board. I, I got to tell you, if we were split, you know, it was at that point, 95 percent pro-Trump at, at that point. saying, listen, this guy who's so, so solid. So, you know, such a mensch. He's a Hamish. He, this guy is so strong that if he's telling us this, we should like we should think about this a bit more, which we did. So he just kind of put the personal out there. Uh, and then you look at the things that he's done on, on anti-Semitism. You look at his appointing an envoy. You look at him issuing an executive order, uh, which hadn't been done before, which to combat anti-Semitism on American campuses. You know, you look at the I took I took originally, uh, you know, thought the president should have been tougher on, 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 on Charlottesville. But I have to say that, that his comment, though, about folks on both sides, that, that quote, false news, he said he, he, he condemned right before that. What, you know, white supremacy condemned it, but then said, you know, in terms of the folks out there protesting and they were about monuments, there are folks on both sides, you know, on, on both sides. Not everyone was a white, but he condemned the supremacists. He's condemned the KKK. Uh, and, and so he, uh, and, and then when you talk, those people who try to say, well, there's a rise of anti-Semitism in the U.S. Have any of you guys been to France lately? Huh? Have you been to Europe? You want to blame that on Donald Trump? I, I remember the last time I was in Tel Aviv. Yep. Actually, it was a year ago, not the last time, but one of the times I was in Tel Aviv. Uh, I was at one of the hotels there, and everyone on the pool was speaking French. Uh, and, and I asked why. I, got, I speak a little bit of French because he said you can't be a Jew and live in France today. Okay? That's not Donald Trump. So, so, you know, those folks are claiming a oh, rise of anti-Semitism because of the president. Listen, his choice of words are not always the best. Okay, His actions, again, have been very, very strong. He has condemned anti-Semitism as strong as can be. He has condemned white supremacy. He has condemned the KKK. And by contrast, and I think what gets him irritated, it's, it's got to be with that proud boy thing. You know, he's frustrated that no one's asking Joe Biden. Are you, are, you know, he said Antifa is a concept. No, it's not a concept. It's a terrorist organization that is impacting American cities. Head of the FBI said that. And so the Democrats have a convention for four days. They don't mention once at their convention what's going on in the streets of Minneapolis, in, in Seattle, in Portland, the rising murder rate in New York, Chicago. They don't even mention it. Uh, and, and so he feels like, hey, I'm getting hammered on all this stuff. And so uh, I, I disagree with the premise that he hasn't been there. And I disagree with the premise that somehow you're going to relate the rise of anti-Semitism to Donald Trump. And it, this is a global phenomenon. It's what we're dealing 
here and in. And, and, but as I say that, let me tell you, and it's, by the way, what am I concerned about the left populism? Because the, the, the clearest, loudest voice of anti-Semitism in the U.S. are not white supremacists. Okay? It is the left. They are more dominant in the political. You, you, you hear very little about whites if it comes up, but it is the left. It is, it is Antifa, by the way. It is, is the Black Lives, you know, BLM and, and the speakers, you know, the Linda Sassoris who speak at these marches. Linda Sassoris being a noted anti-Semite. Uh, and so, but, and, and I think the president gets frustrated by there being no recognition, nothing, and, and he's always being hammered. Uh, again, anti-Semitism is a, is a disease, it's a virus that, ha- that has plagued us for so long, but it's not just Donald Trump in America, and, and, and the Israelis know that. They should know that because they look at their neighbors who are coming in and they're fleeing from Europe because of the rise of anti-Semitism there. I'll, I'll agree with you on the point that the, the left-wing uh, anti-Zionism for sure, borderline anti-Semitism, and, and at times outright anti-Semitism on the far left is louder. I think it's more prevalent, and, and yet we've never seen a far left, uh, you know, white supremacist or, or whatever their equivalent of is shoot up a synagogue or try to attack a synagogue. And I think that's where the concern is coming from. And of course, if you're a Jew in America and here we look at it too, you got to be concerned no, about anti-Semitism from totally, all directions. Not, there's no argument. And, and, you know, we push back on our guests. You're not week. hearing, is you're not hearing the, the more prevalent, no, 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 no. the more impactful, the things that are impacting our kids every day. You have a, a couple of crazies that, that do something, a couple, but you have a little movement that in every college campus today, is kind of it's a disease that's infecting the American body politic, yeah. and I don't think our friends on the left are doing enough to root it out. But I'm not disagreeing that on the right we have to be, you know. So the president disavows sure. David Duke. Listen, we, you know, listen, we even you know, the RJC we we didn't support a Steve King, okay, uh, in Iowa because we didn't like some of the things he was saying. On the other hand, the Dems are all supporting AOC, and they're supporting Tlaib, and they're going to and they're supporting these new members who just got elected. To be fair, the the Democratic uh, Jewish organization is not supporting anyone who supports BDS, and now they made that very clear last week. Um, do do you guys ever you in your position, your organization, senior you know Greenblatts and senior Republican Jewish figures, um, does anyone ever come to Trump and say that comment that you said you know about the uh, you can't buy Jewish uh, you can't buy the Jews because they they don't need your money or does anyone ever go to him, you know, kind of when the microphones are off and say, sure, that wasn't cool, that man. Comment, you can't okay? talk. That, that's, again, everyone cheers about this. You know, I, I, I go back to my deed about Steve, about deeds, about what you've done. OK, so, so he says he, he has a beautiful, you know, on the high holy days, you know, has a beautiful, you know, remarks to the Jews, the Jews, a couple hundred who assembled on the call. Uh, talks about his love of the in his Jewish faith. Talks about Israel, and at the end makes this comment about your 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 country. Now, what the comment should have been was the country that you care about. Okay, that is really important to so many. I don't, you know, so so. I mean, listen, Joe Biden can't remember if he's running for senator or the president, and no one says, you know, and no one says that. Right? He just made a comment today. He was running for the yesterday. He's running for the Senate. Couldn't remember Mitt Romney's name. So the president makes a comment about quote your country. I, I, I have no doubt that what he intended, and it was at the very end, it was the last thing he said. But if he would have said your, the country that you care about, that is so important to you, is important to me, that's what was meant there. And I, I, so I just think he gets excoriated, taken apart word for word. And I, by the way, I, I don't see that on the other side. I really don't see that, that kind of dissecting of what someone is saying. So the president itself, but I think that was an innocuous comment. Yeah, I'll I'll say you you served in the Senate at a time. And and this is when I was growing up, when politics were a little bit more. I I, I won't be ignorant enough to say that everything was friendly uh, and hunky dory. Absolutely not. But I think the civil discourse around politics was a lot different Um, social media because social media and all the things that we said. Do you ever look at what's going on today um, and, and, and be like, okay, we're 2020. We've got COVID. We've got all these issues and like. The people that are in this election are Donald Trump and Joe Biden with, you know, whatever we can say, cognitive issues that he's having. Like, uh, is this the best that we can? We get 330 million Americans like this is what we this is what we're dealing with now. uh, Politics is a business of choices. It's a binary business. We've got a president who has been the best friend that Israel has ever had, ever had in the White House. And again, Jews and excuse me, Israelis recognize that. As per the poll that we just saw, they recognize he's been the best friend that Israel's ever had. 
I don't agree with, with everything that Donald Trump says. I don't agree with everything he does. But I am a passionate supporter of his reelection because the people that will put on the Supreme Court, including the nomination that's going on right now of Amy, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, because of what he's done with the American economy prior to COVID, we had the lowest unemployment rate of African-Americans, the lowest unemployment rate of Hispanics. We had the, 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 the best economic, I think, on the planet. And so I look at what he's done with regulation. I look at what he's done with, with you know, the things that impact my life. When I wake up every day uh, and I'm around the breakfast table with my family, I'm thinking about, one, do I have a job? I'm thinking about, can my, is my wife and family going to be safe when I'm at work? Uh, is my kid going to be able to go to school? Those are the things. And I think on those air, this president has been exemplary. Uh, and, and in the end, but, but I think you raise another question. So, I, I think the, the real question is, does it have to be this brutal? Does it have to be this so divisive? Is, is the partisan divide, does it have to be so great? I wish it weren't, and I don't have an answer. And you, know, you guys have talked about it. So I think social media is a big part of it. The immediacy of the attacks, uh, and, you know, you, you, it's hard to put it back in the genie back in the bottle. And so I lament the, 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 the environment in America. I, re, I lament the vitriol. I, I, I wish the president would, would kind of find a way to kind of step away from that, not take it so personally. You know, uh, I wish the Democrats, you know, would, uh, you know, be more outspoken against uh, the, the folks that are dominating now, the far left that's dominating the conversation in their party. But it is what it is. And so you got binary choices. And in the end, are you going to go with somebody who is going to uh, do the right things to grow jobs? Or are you going to take a, a, you know, we had under Biden and Obama the, the slowest recovery, you know, perhaps in history. And I just don't think policies of, quote, taxing the rich, they call it. It's not just the rich. You know, you're, you're going to end up small business people file. They, I don't want to get too much detail, but a small business person files taxes as an individual. That's, they're, they're, that, that's kind of the structure, an LLC. That's how they file. So they're now rich. You know, farmers who have all this money and land, they're seen as millionaires, but they're not, they don't have a million in their pocket. They got, you know, a thousand acres or something. It's worth a lot of money in, in, in Iowa. A couple thousand acres worth a lot of money in Iowa. And, and so I just think in terms of the choices that in the end, you got to decide where you're at. I, I, I would hope that we could find a time and find a way for America to be more united, find a way in the Senate. Folks, as I said, you asked that question earlier about what happens when the cameras go up. There's a lot of discussion you know, among the members of the Senate, and they're good people on both sides of the aisle. I mean, I, I, I learned that I didn't know, and I try to teach my kids this, you don't know everything. If somebody else may have a better idea. It's worth listening to them. That would be a good thing. And I think if we on the political side did more of that, we'd be better served. But it is what it is, and you've got to play with the cards that are being dealt you. Let, let me ask you uh, what might be uh, the last question, depending on your time. I know you you have an appointment after this, um, and, and maybe you don't have an answer, but it's something that we kind of discuss, um, you know, when we talk about Jews in America and, and which party they're voting for. So we know traditionally, overwhelmingly, and like you said, you know, growing up, most Jews always voted Democrat, and I think probably in the in the eighties into the nineties, it started switching a little bit. Today, we know about. It'll be between 20 to 30 percent of American Jews will vote Republican, and, and it kind of depends on the candidate. More voted for Obama, et cetera. Um, our, our guest last week, you know, it was very clear, um, you know, representing the, the Jewish Democratic Organization that they took a stance on virtually every issue and said these issues are not just Democratic issues. They're Jewish issues, right? So if she's talking about the environment, if she's talking about immigration, if she's talking about, um, you know, um, uh, fighting racism, inclusion, all, all these things, LGBT rights, etc. Do you have a sense that those Jews who vote Republican, is that coming from a sense that no, Republican values are Jewish values, or is it more limited? Do you, do you have a sense in what you're doing that conservative values, small government, all these things, is there kind of yeah, a correlation I, 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 with I your are, understanding yeah. of Listen, Jewish values? The fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans is this. Uh, let me step back. When I ran for Senate against Paul Wellstone, I interviewed with this, and Ben knows the Minneapolis Star Tribune, a very liberal paper. Uh, and at the end of the interview, their editor I said, you know, you sound a lot like Senator Wellstone. And I said, well... Because I was talking about we want to ensure that every kid has the opportunity to be the best they can be. We differ in how we get there. We differ in our approach. Uh, and so, you know, our approach is, is that we kind of 
build up individual opportunity, that we give kids the opportunity to go to, to the best, any school that they want. Democrats would say no, teachers unions controls the process there. And so they're against charter schools. They're against school choice. Private education among American Jews is a pretty big issue. I think that's a Jewish value. Uh, but, you know, they're on one side. It, it's our, we have a different vision of, of how you get to that place where every kid has the opportunity to be the best they can be. One believes in more government. If you believe in more government, you're going to have more taxes, you're going to have more regulation, you'll have single-payer health care. If you believe in less government, but government where it creates an opportunity, again, teach people to fish, then you're not going to have single-payer, you know, you're not going to have the government control your health care. You're not going to have massive regulation, you know, a, a Green New Deal, which in the end is going to impact jobs in Pennsylvania on things like fracking, will impact Minnesota farmers who are, you know, uh, growing cows that, that have flatulence that adds to CO2 in the, in the air. Uh, I think what we do is we simply disagree how we get there. But, yeah, I, I think for, for Jews, again, I go back to the things that are important to me. There, there is a difference, I must admit. I'm going to say it up front on some of the social issues. Listen, for a lot of our brethren, and I, I, Norman Padura said this where I did, they think when Moses came down from that mountain, as I said, he had those two tablets, right? And one was written abortion, the other said gay rights, and that's it. And I, for us, it was the Ten Commandments. But, but And by the way, gay rights, this isn't even an issue. Law is settled on that in the U.S. I don't think anyone is having an argument over that. Still arguments over, over life, life issue. But, but aside from the social issues, if you kind of look at the things that are important to you as, as a person, as a Jew, and, and, and this is, you know, to, to say that we are entrepreneurial is not an insult, okay? Because we have to be entrepreneurial because we got kicked out of every country because we had to use our brains to, to survive and our smarts because we couldn't own businesses. We couldn't settle. We were in, you know, ghetto somewhere. Uh, and so, yeah, we, I think Jews are pretty entrepreneurial and I think they value education. Uh, and, and so those are, I, you know, the, 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 the things that are important to me as a Jew are important to me as American. And then but but the other added plus is Israel. Uh, and, and, and there is a dividing line there. As much as you say that the Democrats aren't supporting folks who support BDS, the reality is, is that but their party, more and more the dominant force, the movement in the party is this progressive socialist movement. And by the way, I got to tell you, you know, I grew up, I'm, I, populism on either side, left or right, makes me very nervous. Okay. I'm not a populist. Okay. Because when those the folks had those pitchforks, they were coming after my my, you know, my relatives, they were coming after my, my ancestors. Uh, and, and so I think that's the challenge. So listen, if the Democrats could do a better job of some of getting back to where they were uh, and, and not ceding the territory on, on, on environment, on social, on politics, and a whole range of things to, to the squad and their progeny, you know, I think we'd all be better. So I think Israel would be better served, but that's not the reality. And so, yeah, long answer, a short question. I think the values are consistent with Jewish values. But I think historically, you know, when Barry Goldwater on principle, his principle didn't support, you know, what the, 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 the uh, Freedom Voting Rights Act. Right? That moved a lot of, you know, American Jews. And, when, and Franklin Roosevelt moved a lot of Jews. As I said, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I, didn't, I never met a Republican. It was almost part of our DNA. But I do think it's switching. It's growing. And, and, and we're not going to get a majority. But if you go from 20... 20% to 23%, 28%, 30%. I think it make that that's kind of the direction we're moving in. And I'll end on this note that President Donald Trump has been the best friend that Israel's ever had in the White House. I think that's reflected on the things he's done and for Israel and the U.S. Israel relationship. And I think Israel, as we've said a number of times in this, you know, this conversation, Israelis recognize it. You saw it in that recent poll. I see it every time I'm sitting in a cab in Israel, I'm in the streets of Israel. Uh, they recognize that this president has been very good for the Israel-U.S. relationship and for Israel security. I, I, I'll comment on that. Not a question because uh, I assume you're not a fortune teller. Something that that has crossed my mind, and, and I've told I've told Ben here in private conversations numerous times. I have a you know Biden. I I think Biden is a friend of Israel. We can disagree about you know his, his the way he gets there. Like you said, I think we 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 should agree about the major goals, and we can disagree about the way you get there. And I fear the day that the Democrats will nominate someone who is not pro-Israel and who is possibly anti-Israel. And then I wonder what will happen in the American Jewish community, which American Jews, and, and this is going to be provocative and I know it, which American Jews are going to prefer progressive democratic values that has an anti-Israel foreign policy focus 
and which American Jews who currently vote Democrat will stick with Israel foregoing their progressive values. And right now, uh, I'm, I'm thankful they don't have to make that choice. And I, I fear the day that they, they might have to make that choice. That, that uh, a lot of the next generation doesn't have that tie to Israel. I mean, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I grew up in the days, you know, Israel's, as a kid, uh, Exodus, Israel's independence, uh, the 67 war, you know, I mean, just all these things are part of my upbringing. Uh, and, and this, the, the folks, my kids and their kids, sure. I don't think have that same reflection. And I think uh, we got to do a better job. It's why birthright and other things like that, I fully support. Let's be, let folks go. One of the biggest ways to can be to support Israel is to go to Israel and talk to Israel. <laughs> I'll close on this note. As a, as a tourism professional, the best way that we can get people to go back to Israel is for this COVID stuff and this garbage period of our, our lives to be behind us. And when that happens, let the floodgates open and the more people that can come here uh, to, to discover the wonderful country that it is that is israel and the beauty of the jewish people very wonderful and very complex very complex uh but but wonderful uh the better and uh when that happens uh senator coleman i have no doubt that you will Without be amongst the next, first next people to get on that plane and make the trip over so uh we will will definitely uh when that happens invite you uh for a drink and uh and, and maybe next time we're in minnesota Thank together you, I'll, uh, I'll give you a call and, uh, we get together. You all the very best thanks so much we, we thank you so much for your time and, and, and your openness and your candidness with us. Uh, really great. Thank you. No, we can take you out of much health. Thank you. Bye-bye. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Fetherman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.